Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Show us the lamb. The missionary replied with John 1.29, as we just read. This is the description of Jesus Christ. He said, this is the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You must be under God's Lamb, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who came to bear our sin. Jesus is the Lamb that takes away all of our shame and all of our disgrace. John the Baptist reveals God's approval of His Son's atonement by sending down His Spirit upon Jesus. Here's Jesus. He just arrived at the Jordan River and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. He points at Him. And then in verse 32, and John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and He remained upon Him, Jesus. I did not know Him, but He who sent Me to baptize with water said to Me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that Jesus, that this is the Son of God. You see, John came, as I said, to baptize with water, but he said, hey, I'm not the deal. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just the messenger. The one who comes will baptize with the Holy Spirit, with His Spirit. And here He is, Jesus. So who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is God's Lamb. And number five, Jesus is God's Messiah. He's God's Messiah. Verse 35 Again, the next day, John the Baptist stood with two of his disciples. Later on, we'll learn that this is uh, the, the dis, uh, future disciples. John, uh, our author of our book, and Andrew, uh, their family, friends, fishermen, co-workers, no doubt. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he, the Baptist, said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? Jesus always asked the question that would make people stop and consider their answer. They were usually simple questions, but they were just so well-timed and so powerful. What do you seek? He sees them following behind. What do you seek? Jesus was forcing them to define the reason they were going after him. Well, they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, teacher, where are you staying? They were likely wanting to know where, how they could get in touch. You see, you, you, in, in the next verse, you're going to see that they're, I mean, they're poised. They realize this is the Messiah, right? He's finally coming. He's coming in their lifetime. This is something every Jew had waited for for, for a thousand years. But here he is. And I believe they want to go rush to go tell their brothers and their friends. The Messiah's here. We just found him. And so before they depart to go run and tell everyone, they want to know how they can reconnect with Jesus. Jesus is walking somewhere. Oh, where are you staying? I, I, I want, I'm going to go tell my brother, but I, so I need to know where you're going so I can find you again. I think that's what we're seeing here. Where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. 
They came and saw where he was staying and remained with them that day. Now it was about the 10th hour, about 4 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Another word for Messiah is anointed. That's, uh, that's in the Greek. In the Hebrew, it's uh, son of man. When Israel's kings were crowned, they were called God's anointed. The Jews were awaiting a warrior king called uh, God's anointed that they could follow into war to overthrow the rule of Rome. But this is not how Jesus presented Himself. The Jews were waiting for that great warrior, but Jesus regularly explained to His followers that the cross had to come before the crown. The cross had to come before the crown. And here in John, we're going to see the cross. And in Revelation that we just studied, we saw Jesus with His crown. He is King and King and Lord of Lords right now in heaven. But the cross had to come before the crown. Jesus came to suffer and die for all mankind before being lifted up as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Andrew was so excited, he ran to get his brother, Simon, and brought, to him, brought him to Jesus. Verse 42, Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Kepha, which is translated a stone. Now Kepha in the common language of Aramaic, Peter in Greek, uh, Jesus spoke both along uh, by, with Hebrew, of course. Those three languages you really had to be able to speak fluently because uh, Israel, especially Jerusalem, is, was a crossroads for so many different cultures and countries and languages. Those were the three that you needed to know to be able to speak to just about anyone in the world right then. As I read that, I pushed away from my desk this morning what an interesting thing. He doesn't, know G he doesn't know Simon for 10 seconds and he's already changed his name. Isn't that interesting? As I pondered that, it occurred to me, I wonder how many of us know our name? Because we have one. We have dozens actually in Scripture. See, I'm convinced that many of us don't know our names. Some of us in here today are carrying around the wrong name you see, we're still being defined by our past failures. We're still being defined of who we were before the cross. We're still defined by our guilt and shame when Jesus has given us a fresh start and a new beginning. Jesus is not as concerned with who you were or who you are even right now. Jesus sees beyond mortal limits and out into our future who you can be if you follow Him, just as Simon Peter did. Today, you can have your name changed by Jesus to overcomer, to Christ follower, to His adopted, 
to redeemed and forgiven child of God. See, those are your names after the cross. After you've received Jesus and His robe of righteousness, His forgiveness, you become a new creation, we're told. You're not who you were. Stop looking at the rearview mirror. That's not where you're going. You're going this way. Jesus has changed your life. Now you're a, re you're a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. You're an overcomer. We need to start living like that. Stop walking around with the name that you had and start living the name that you've been given. It's noteworthy here to see that John the baptizer brought John and Andrew to Jesus. And then Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And then Peter brought many thousands to Jesus on the day of Pentecost and the rest of his life. Now, one time he preached and 5,000 got saved. Another time, 4,000 got saved. It's important to understand what our purpose is. It's always to tell the story of Jesus and the cross. You and I get to share our story of salvation with others around us. And in so doing, God uses our testimonies to bring some of those people into the kingdom. Never forget why you're here to share Jesus with the lost. And let me tell you, your testimony of how that happened is so powerful. Here's a way to share Jesus in a very simple way. Who I was before Jesus the circumstances that Jesus found me, and life after Jesus. It's that simple. I do that a lot. I don't want to give my, I don't want to show you my cards. Yeah, I want to show you my cards. Here they are. When I go to a restaurant, I have a purpose. Now, one of them is to fill my stomach. I'm not going to lie about that. But a greater priority for me is to see if Someone at the restaurant needs Christ, is ready to receive Christ. And so just by saying, hey, um, when the waitress comes up or waiter, I'll say, hey, we're going to pray for our food in a minute. Can we pray for you about something? And I'll guarantee you, people, every one of them are shocked. No one's ever asked them that question. And they look at you and kind of go, uh, um, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. What, what can I pray for you about? Well, um, uh, me and my boyfriend just broke up, and financially, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in trouble. Oh, really? Boy, that's, that's tough. Listen, I've been through some hard times myself, and I'll share one of my stories that is closest to that one and that I've experienced in my life when I felt hopeless. Now, I'll tell you, hey, I was feeling hopeless as well. But you know what saved me? No, tell me. Jesus Christ. Someone introduced me to Jesus Christ, and He's the Savior of the world. I invited him into my life. I made him the Lord and Savior of my life. My life's never been the same since. Everything's shifted. And they go, oh, wow, that's interesting. And uh, so wherever you go, tell your story. No one has your story, the exact story. Tell your story, and God will bring people to you that you can share your story with. And here's number six. Jesus is God's king. Jesus is God's king. Verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to, me, said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him from whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? You better look somewhere else. You know, Nazareth had this reputation of a bunch of fishermen, rough, unskilled ruffians that were out there living in Nazareth. Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come on. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Philip replies with this, come and see. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) He's adopted the words of his Savior. The word come is a verb, and it means to approach or to move forward towards a person or a particular location. Jesus used this word throughout his ministry, and Philip adopted the phrase for himself, as we just read. In John 7, 37, Jesus said, come to me and drink. In John 21, 12, after the disciples had gone fishing and Jesus had had, um, come out of the grave and was showing himself to them once more on the Galilee, he made a, a fire, you may remember, and he made them breakfast that morning, and he says, come and eat. The Lord invites us to come and experience all that He has for us. After we come into the kingdom, He bids us to come and die. To die to our sin. To die to our old lives. To die to the world. To die to that person that you might still be calling yourself. He says, die to that. Well, Paul wrote this beautiful analogy of that. Uh, It's one of my life verses, Galatians 2.20. We see Paul's picture of this. He wrote these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I'm not that old guy that you guys, a lot of you remember You remember who Paul was before he was Paul? Do you remember that he was called Saul before he was called Paul? His name was changed again. When he was Saul, he was persecuting Jesus' people, the way. He was persecuting Christians. He was arresting them and taking them to court. Some of them would be executed. He was responsible. He had a hand in murdering Christians. I saw a meme the other day it went something like this. Paul arrived in heaven to the standing ovation of some of the saints whom he had murdered. Think about that for a second. Paul knew he wasn't who he was anymore. That was Saul that did those things. That was before Jesus. That was before grace. And Paul went to heaven with the applause of those, some of those that he had murdered. That's called grace right there. The life of a follower of Christ is an active life. Jesus didn't say stay. He says, come with me. Come and see the purpose for which I created you. Do you know that you have a purpose? After you receive Christ, we don't just sit down and wait for Jesus to come back. No, Jesus has a plan. He has 
a mission for us to go out and to carry out each one of us. Verse 47, Jesus, or Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Uh, that word deceit also means guile. There's no guile. When, when Nathanael spoke, he spoke truth. There was no sin, as it were, in him, although he was a sinner. He lived as close as he could to the law. And Jesus recognized that. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, Nathanael's use of the phrase King of Israel is akin to Son of Man in the Hebrew or Anointed One, as we talked about in the Aramaic. And while Jesus did acknowledge that he was a king, he didn't present himself as one, not once. When asked directly by Pilate if he was a king, Jesus answered, it is as you say, it is true, I am a king. But Jesus never knew, or Jesus always knew, that the, the, the crown would come after the cross. His purpose for coming to us was to be the God-man. Who is Jesus? Number six, Jesus is God's king. And finally, number seven, Jesus is the God-man. He is the God-man. In verse 50, we continue. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <laughs> you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending up upon the Son of Man. Now the term Son of Man is used over 80 times just in the Gospels. It's, uh, it's Jesus's, I think it's Jesus' favorite way to refer to Himself. He's the Son of Man. And, uh, and of course it declares both of Jesus' attributes. He is fully God and He is fully man. Jesus recalls the story here uh, He refers to in Genesis 28. You may remember it from your Sunday school days when Jacob is on the run and he's feeling lonely, he's feeling abandoned, but God speaks to him in a dream where he sees this ladder, remember, coming down from heaven. And what's going up and down the ladder? But angels are going up and down the ladder between heaven and earth. Jesus, that's a metaphor. The ladder is a metaphor for Jesus. Jesus is the ladder. And he tells these disciples standing in front of him, Nathaniel being one of them, you're going to see even greater things. Heaven is opened up. He presents himself as the ladder. I am fully God and I am fully man. I can take God's hand in one hand and I can take your hand in the other. He is the ladder between. He is the go-between. 
We don't need a priest to do that anymore. We have Jesus Christ. When we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. And it goes straight to the Father. Jesus is the ladder. He is mankind's intercessory because He is fully man. He can relate to our needs and our suffering. And because He is fully God, He has full access to every blessing and every power that we need to do what we need to do to carry out our mission. Back in verse 14, we we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the God-man, and He came to lay down His life as a sacrifice for all who would believe and receive Him. See, He has to be man to be crucified, right? He has to be man to, to take on our sin. He never sinned, but He took on our sin. He lived a life like ours, similarly, so that he could, we could see Him and know Him and know the Word of the Father. But then he, one, a man can't die forever. I can't die for you. You go out and do something, they're not going to let me pay your penalty of death. But because Jesus is God, He can die for the entire world. And He did, and He made this offering. Anyone who believes and receives in what I did makes me Lord and Savior and follows me will become a Christ follower, a forgiven child of God. One of the early church fathers of the 4th century, Gregory of Nazianzus, I think it's pronounced, tried his best to describe Jesus, but he was so frustrated in doing so. He wrote these words. He said, Jesus began his ministry by being hungry, yet he is the bread of life. Jesus ended His earthly ministry by being thirsty, yet He is the living water. Jesus was weary, yet He is our rest. Jesus paid tribute, yet He is the King. Jesus was accused of having a demon, yet He cast demons out. Jesus wept, yet He dries all of our tears. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet He redeemed the entire world. Jesus was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, yet He is the good shepherd. Jesus died, yet by His death, He destroyed the power of death forevermore. Gregory wrote, In Jesus, we discover the only way for man to be reconciled to God. He is the God-man, fully God, yet fully man. The question that I have for you as we close today is the most important question you and I will ever answer on planet Earth. What do you believe about Jesus? How you answer that determines your eternal destination. One day in the near future, the only thing that will matter to you will be this. How did I answer that question? What did you decide about Jesus? Did you believe and receive His free gift of life? 
If the answer is yes, you've accepted that robe of righteousness, then you will experience a relationship with your Heavenly Father both now and then in eternity in the place that He's prepared for all believers. If you rejected that and said, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm going to live life my way. Then there's only one other choice, and that is in a place called hell. Well, there is torment and separation from God for all eternity, forevermore. Decide today while there's still time. Let me tell you, not to decide is to decide, is to reject. The gift is here right now. It may not be for you tomorrow. You see, no one's guaranteed tomorrow. God forbid one of us or some of us might go home tonight. In these last few years, I've realized how old I'm getting because some of my friends are going, they're departing this world. And it seems like every time it's sudden. None of us are prepared for it. We just, we just go to the next station. You want to know where you're going if that happens to you tonight. God forbid. It's too important to miss. And it's too dangerous to leave this, this room without knowing that you're going to go to see the Lord and spend eternity with Him. Let's pray. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.